Welcome to The Blueprint, a podcast for you and your life as a professional. The people I have conversations with don't have to be famous. They have to be making a living doing what they do. My goal is to get you the information you need to make real decisions. Start a career, change a career, get your money right and get a handle on your operations. This is a career day in a box podcast. I am Philip Llanos, and maybe this is the blueprint for you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the next installment of this podcast. I'm really excited. I know you think people say this for every episode, but there's a reason why I'm psyched. Not only are you going to hear from a veteran, but you're going to hear from someone who has actually made a living from real estate. Someone who does this. It's not just someone who's saying, oh yeah, I do real estate and la la la, come and learn what I have to offer. No, not only do they do they make a living off real estate, but they also teach others how to make a living off of real estate. So if you have an interest in this career, this is the podcast you should be listening to. Above all else, there's also deep wisdom to this episode from hardships, coming up from poverty, uh, overcoming challenging mindsets, understanding the things that your families may have installed in you, and also how to be a good parent yourself. There's so much to this episode that really If you just listen to the first 10 minutes, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. But the entire podcast is worth listening to, even if you have to come back to it two or three times because you're busy. Without further ado, J.P. Pena. J.P., I'm so hyped for having you on to the podcast because not only have I been on your podcast, which is the Unfuck Yourself podcast, correct? With J.P. Pena. Um, which is a badass podcast. Hey, <laughs> make sure you get that. It, was that supposed to be a crowd? Because it sounded like the ring was trying to come through this laptop. <laughs> it was supposed to be a crowd. Damn. Maybe maybe uh, the the fidelity of the effects is affected by the conference tool that I'm using. Uh, yeah, no, nah, dude, your setup looks nice, man. Uh, what episode are you on right now? I'm on episode uh, where you just finished recording episode 50, um, but live we have episode 34 right now. Damn. So you got him in the pipeline. Yeah, we got him in the pipeline. That's what I'm doing. The goal is to at least put him out once a week, which just makes it a lot more easier as far as editing and yeah, without being rushed. So therefore, we're trying to aim every Friday a new episode goes out. We seem to have a, a better turnout every time we uh, put it out on Fridays versus during the other days of the week. And uh, so far, it's good. Actually, my top download right now is at 40,000 downloads, which... 40,000 downloads, JP? Yeah. It's an amazing story. It's an entrepreneur chick, insane story of just life consequences and, you know, just a lot of shit was thrown to her, man. And, And I think women just related to that a lot. And I got so many messages from women. My email, I think, the third day that it had gone out, I had women pouring everything out on emails talking about how that podcast alone made them change their perspective in life and what had happened to them, somewhat opening up about being raped and how they had hatred. I mean, it was insane, bro. A lot of stuff I didn't even know how to answer because I don't think I'm qualified to answer all this stuff, to be quite honest. And I'm sitting here like, wow, the impact that this episode did was so great that it sort of like inspired me to say, you know what? Fuck that dude. I have to keep on going now. Can't stop. Dude, that is powerful, man. Yeah, man. Same. 
that way to use your platform. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited of having you on the show is that, number one, I know a few details that you've told me about your life story and the power behind that. But also, you're a very successful real estate broker. <laughs> Agent? Broker. I, I, I get them wrong. Broker. broker. Yeah, that's what I yeah. figured. Uh, yeah, you train agents. That's that's the thing. And uh, Correct. And because this podcast is a career-based one, like... I want to leave behind some things for anybody if they were ever like, you know what? I want to change my career, especially because the quarantine, a lot of people are scrambling for like, what am I going to do now? I mean, you told me yourself. Now, I happen to know that you're a kick ass broker. Like you don't fuck around. You kick ass and you get the job done. In fact, people who don't get the job done kind of get on your nerves, even especially the ones that show up late when it's already set up for success when working with you. You know what's funny, man? I, I fired two agents that I was training. And this this was a long time coming just because a lot of people tell me that I'm just too nice. And I do agree. I think that to a certain extent, I sort of push myself beyond what I'm supposed to when I should make a shift. And I always tell my agents, I always tell people that I coach, you know, the minute that you need to change, the minute that you need a shift, just do it. Don't wait for it. That hesitation could kill you. Uh, it could cost you money, whatever it is, right? But when it comes to helping people, man, there's always that sweet spot because I always look back to myself and look back where I was maybe three, four years ago, which I really think that was when I really pivot and change for the better. That was only three, four years ago, bro. Before that, I think I was still fucking lost. And I was that one agent that maybe didn't listen, that was just trying to figure out my own things, that was trying to reinvent the wheel, right? But as a mentor, as a trainee, my time is so fucking valuable and I'm always talking about, you know, uh, unrefundable minutes and how time is money. And, you know, I would keep these agents on that would constantly just not deliver, not show up, not perform. Yet I'm still sending business to them, but they're not turning in simple assignments in regards to contracts. And then they're asking me questions about contracts. Where I'm like, dude, we discussed that. You clearly didn't pay attention, right? And finally, I said, you know what? Fuck that. I just need to let these people go. And I let them go, right? And the amount of calls and emails that I get from them now talking about like, give me a second chance, give me a second chance. And I'm sitting here now like, no, man, like, dude, you, you fucked up, bro. But what's crazy is I let go of those two and I ended up getting eight, eight more fucking you agents. You have eight agents for. under you? No, eight agents that that show that, uh, signed up for my training. So I oh. run a training every morning at 5 a.m. and at 6.30. 5 a.m. is a little bit more accelerated. And at 6.30 is for people that just got into the business. So when I had these two guys there, I was at about four agents only. So these two and two other agents. Once I let them go, I got eight more. So with the other two, I'm at 10, each one paying 1500 a month. So it was sort of like a blessing in disguise to let these people go. And, and it's so much better because now I'm being challenged. You know, these guys are, are on top of it. They're sending me pictures of their contracts and they're like, dude, I'm writing this up. I need help with this. How do I structure this? I got this deal. How did I negotiate to win this? And I'm back on that game where I'm excited. I'm motivated. And that's what I love doing. I love helping people. So sometimes you got to just cut some motherfuckers out in order for you to fucking take that next leap forward. And I think that uh, it's, it's crazy you mentioned that up because I just learned that now that it's okay to fucking sometimes do that. And I'm not fucking perfect. And this goes out to tell a lot of people out there that even though at the stage that I'm at, which I still think it's a journey, it's a process, I'm constantly learning and adjusting to better myself as well. So even though you're a mentor of many, you're constantly a student. 
Dude, you always got to be learning, man. Always. Would you say that's rule number one when it comes to a career like real estate? That's the rule number one in life, period. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, I agree. You apply that in your life and you'll realize how much more different shit ends up manifesting for yourself. And I think that's the one thing that we do too often is that um, we don't dump the trash as often as we should be dumping it. And we're always constantly trying to fit that right image that we think you are thinking of me, if that makes any sense. Uh. And I think Jay made that uh, very clear once that says, I'm always going to be or I'm always going to do what you're thinking that I am thinking of doing or some, something along the lines. Who said that? I, uh, Jay Shedai. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, dude, yeah. He's insane. Um, and, and it related so much to me because I figure I'm always in the position of having people just like me. Like for the longest, it was, I want to be liked. And growing up, because I had so much of that rejection for me, it was like, I just want to grow up and be like, that's it. I want to be like, so anything I did in my life was, how can I just be liked at this? If I'm going to do real estate, I want to be the most likable real estate agent. If I'm going to do training, I want to be the most likable training guy. You know, and, and it wasn't until I shift that mindset until things just started folding differently and better. Wow. So in life, I think that's one of the things that, you know, you put that first in life, man. And uh, like you said, you know, rule number one and shit would just work out differently, man. You know, it's interesting. I feel like I met you two, three years ago, right? So I met you just as things were shifting. Yeah, I think uh, when I left... Sunset Plaza, and I was doing very well, very well. In fact, that's when I had just uh, gotten hired by Douglas Element. And yeah, I that's when I met you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from the Grove. Uh, I think that's really when that upward movement had started. Um, and, and even through that, it was a lot of lessons because it was shit that I should have been applying a long time ago and I didn't. And it was sort of not late in the game, but a lot more delay for the position I was at, if that makes any sense in my career. I was mm. too far along in my career that some of the choices I had to make or implement to structure a proper system in my business should have been in place two years ago. Now I'm playing catch up. Okay. And that far. Right. See, that's, that's huge because I'm in a similar position personally. And what I know for a fact is that most people listening to this aren't self-employed uh, probably most likely have spent a majority of their life as an employee, right? So at a time like this right now, when the gig economy is becoming more and more of a thing where it's like you can't really depend on a job per se as much as you used to, especially with the quarantine. What's right. the number one thing that comes to mind for you if you had to tell a young one, whether it was a man or woman, like who's younger and uh, less experienced in their career, like, look, you want to survive this quarantine? This is the first thing you got to do, regardless if it's going to be for real estate. This is some of the first things you got to do because you yourself are successfully self-employed to, to a large standard. So what would be the number one rule? Whatever it is that fucking you feel is your purpose you need to fucking do now. That's what it is. Whatever it is that you love doing, this is the time where you could take risk. What's the worst that could happen? Think about it. You want to go take that business venture in the fucking tanks. You lose everything. Well, fuck, the whole fucking economy right now is sort of like up in the air as well. Although if we want to go statistic-wide numbers, it's, it's actually performing very well. But what I'm saying is 
you works are not being placed. Some of these people are on unemployment. They're getting money in. Why not take that risk and do whatever it is that you want to do? I mean, I get calls often from people like, oh, man, I see your podcast. I want to start my own podcast. If you truly love it, why not do it? Just do it. Well, what if people are not going to listen? Or what if I don't have the, the platform yet for this and that? Who fucking cares? That's the problem that we throw too many what ifs in life, period. Whatever it is that you want to do that hold you back. I'd rather take risk and fail rather than live my whole life thinking what if I would have had done that. Okay. You know, that I, I interviewed a guy once and this fucking hit home. He said, I'm going to fucking take every risk, every risk I can throughout my whole life. Because when I want to die, when I, when I die, not when I want to die, when I die, <laughs> I want my tombstone to say exhausted. And I said, I said, what do you mean exhausted? He means I completely exhausted every fucking opportunity this life fucking gave me. Damn. And then I fucking got out with a bang. And I sat there and I was like, holy shit. And this guy's story is fucking insane, bro. It's, uh, you know, this guy had no choice but to fucking work at 12. And when he figured out that he could make money, literally just doing something, he felt like, what if I could do something that will make me money, but it's something that I love doing. And so he started chasing that at 15. At 15, he was making $1,000 a month. That's and then he said, really Damn, good for a 15 year old. I was fucking making maybe 40 bucks. And I thought I was like, another world. I got 40 bucks, right? Now a thousand bucks. Shit, that's a whole nother level, right? But he's sitting there and he goes, What if I could do 2,000 now? He said by 18, he was already making six figures. Wow. So look at the mindset of adversity, obstacles of growing up in a certain situation where you have no choice, but you have to fucking go out there, take risk and grind. But what's the beauty of it that, I mean, the beauty of the whole situation is that you actually find something that you love doing it and you manage to be a badass at it where you start now fucking making the type of money you want at that young age doing what you fucking love. Okay. That's powerful. That's I, powerful, bro. I want to jump in and say, if my listener isn't the exception to the rule, like that person who a lot like yourself and myself and certain people are able to say, you know what, I'm, we're not risk averse, but a lot of people, they don't like risk. Matter of fact, a lot of people, they look at the money they're receiving, let's say it's unemployment and they go, no, I need every single dollar of this for all my needs. And maybe they have kids. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're literally living off of unemployment, but they don't know what security. else to do. Yeah. They're very security mindset. What would you say well, to someone like that? That's the problem. Security doesn't fucking exist. And I think this issue that happened with this pandemic proved that. How many people were working at jobs that they felt were secure and got laid off the minute that we got on a lockdown? That's true. That's true. You're, I, I, you're, I had a part-time that I was using to stack up cash to invest. I lost there you it. go. And your unemployment, is that security? You know, no. I, all these people, I hear people saying, well, I don't want to go back because I'm making so much money on unemployment. Yeah, but what the fuck? That's going to finish. Yeah. Then what? See, that's the problem. There's no such thing as you not being a risk taker. You're a bad person. The problem is that that's what we were thought of, uh, to think. That's what our upbringing was. Chase that security, get a job, get a degree, and stay within that that box. Stay your lane and everything's going to be fine. But well, JP, I have kids. I have kids. Well, even more of a reason why not be an example and fucking go out and maximize your life to provide the best ability, the best possible opportunities for your kids. Yeah. I mean, I look at my kids and I sit there, I'm like, I don't want them working at nine to five. 
I want them to enjoy the freedom that I have. I want them to have a taste of that. That's why when I take them out and we go travel and we travel like all these places, dude, we're in a pandemic and I've been to Mexico four times. Cancun, Apple, <laughs> Carmen, Isla. Come on, Don't bro. rub it in, man. No, I'm kidding. No, that's dope, that's man. I'm, I'm like, so happy. Go, dude, we go out there and then I have them see this and I have them understand why this is achievable because this of that. You know, now I have my daughter telling me, dad, you know, we, we went hiking, uh, what was it? I think uh, two days ago. And my son's sort of like on that little stage where he's too cool now. He's 12 years old. He thinks he's like, you know, the cool kid in the box. And your daughter's and how da- old? Uh, 12. 12, okay. And my daughter's eight. Oh. And, uh, you know, my daughter, whole different mindset, bro. And I'm always like that little challenger, you know, like if there's a big hill, I want to take the big hill. That's just, I always been, that's why I joined the Marines. That's why any tough, job or, you know, opportunity out there. I've done it because I love that. If it's hard, I want to do it. If, if, it, if it's not challenging me, I don't pay attention to it. Right. And, um, uh, I'm looking at this hill and I look at my daughter and I said, all right, Camila, go, we have two options here. One, we could take this hill, which is a lot steeper. It looks, you know, pretty, you know, steep and loose rocks and all that. It's going to be quite the workout, or we could take this easy path. And her response was this, that the brain is a muscle. If you don't train the brain to get stronger, you're never going to become better in life. Let's go the hard route. I was like, fuck. This was your nine-year-old daughter? Eight-year-old. Eight-year-old daughter. Sorry. Yeah. So this is what I'm telling you, man. The example you put out to your kids, it's eventually what they're going to mimic growing up. So if you constantly tell them that, hey, go chase security. Hey, play it safe. Hey, go find something that's just going to make everything better and you're going to be good and, you know, nothing... Yeah, quite frankly, you can live your whole life like that, but are you really going to be in true happiness, living full, a full purpose? And by the way, when I mean living in full purpose, having inner wealth, I don't mean becoming a multimillionaire. I don't, I'm not saying become a billionaire. I'm just saying live your life to the fullest, knowing that you're happy with what you're doing and you're not depending on somebody else to create that security for you. You create your own fucking security. You're the fucking boss, whatever it is that you do. Employees are great. If you're a fucking badass employee, great. Be that badass employee, but know that you're working on your terms. That's what I'm saying. Find that. Once you find that, you become fucking unstoppable. That's when you truly become relentless. And a lot of times we let that that way we were brought up coop us and keep us there and and feel that we can't do certain things. You know, like you know, I have a, a guy I'm mentoring and, you know, sort of, you know, he's having a hard time on his business right now. But when I do some further digging is his whole family always told him from the beginning that he was going to fail, that it wasn't good because he didn't have a degree, that he didn't have this type of position. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a lawyer or an architect and all this. So instead of breaking through that barrier, he keeps on selling himself on that message that his parents keep on telling him. So for him, taking a risk is not a good thing. For him right now, all this that's going on, it's a sign that he should quit. It's not a challenge that he has to figure out the solution. It's a sign he has to quit. In fact, the conversation we last had, he said, this is a sign from God that I should go back to school and get a degree. And I sat there and I said, you know what? I call BS on that. I don't care what you believe on, the unicorns, right? Uh, God, whatever it is. I don't think that there's a higher power that when he said, let there be Philip, he said, let there be Philip to be an ordinary average person. Right. He said, let be Philip to be the baddest motherfucker he can fucking be. Here are all the different roads. It's not going to be easy, but Philip, you fucking choose. I will fucking support you. I respect and that. Man. I agree. 
And in each one of those roads, you're going to have challenges because that's what's going to make you even better so you could scale up to the next fucking level. At any I, level, you can stay there. You can I love stay it. There. I love it, man. And 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 uh, it makes me want to ask, when did you first go into real estate? Was that something you always wanted to do? Because at the end of the day, that's what I want to get behind here. Dude, you know what? Real estate was crazy because my mom cleaned homes growing up and uh, we would get up early in the morning, uh, like around 4.30, take the bus all through Malibu, Beverly Hills, cleaning up homes. And I fell in love with seeing architecture. I remember I would draw these homes and you know, uh, go back home and put them up. In fact, I just came from my mom's house not too long ago and I brought all these drawings that I actually did of properties. And it's funny how the power of attraction, law of attraction, bro, some of the homes that I'm looking at, my my wife was like, dude, that looks like the house you saw. And I said, dude, it does. Or look, that looks like the one you sold in Studio City. I'm like, fuck, it does. Like, it's crazy because I drew these when I was a young kid and somehow the universe sort of brought these properties to me. And to answer your question, I fell in love with properties, drawing them, designing them. So throughout school, I figured I was going to be an architect. And uh, when I had a partial uh, scholarship to Otis, which is an architectural school, I joined the Marine Corps and Faith just took me another way. Uh, we got activated. I ended up, uh, you know, serving overseas. When I did get back, I tried to do the school thing again. That didn't work. And uh, funny story is one day a good friend of mine who actually I mentor now, uh, when you a UA means that you basically just abandon your post. You said, mm. fuck the military. I'm not going to do the military no more. Right. And during that time, it was uh, it was co- uh, war era. So if you abandon your post during war, that's not a good thing. <sighs> Luckily for him, I was the one in charge of processing all these people. Uh, I was injured in Iraq. So when I got back, I was basically administration and I would process uh, all the drug pops, the ones that went UA and all that stuff. So I'm calling this guy every day like, dude, where the hell are you? I'm trying to hook you up. You're my boy clubbing here and all this stuff. And you're my A. He shows up back to the base on the most sickest Lamborghini I've ever seen in my life. Looked like a fucking spaceship, bro. And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, this is why I left. He goes, fuck this. I make more money doing loans. And I said, loans? What do you mean loans? He said, yeah. Like, dude, I'll get you a job. And I said, tell you what, you teach me how to make that type of money, I'll make this shit go away for you. Hopefully the government doesn't hear this, by the way. <laughs> I'll be in big trouble. Nah, oh, nah. <laughs> I love it, man. Because this is real. Dude, so the next day, I remember I was all excited to pull on my khakis, my fucking Gap shirt that I had, the only dressing shoes, uh, the only dressing stuff that I had at the time. And I draw it to West Covina, San Bernardino, off of San Bernardino. I remember I parked. I had a Nissan Titan. And all I see in the lot is fucking Mercedes, exotic cars, Bentleys, all this shit. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, this looks legit. But the crazy thing is that the 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 retail place had the uh, mirror-like uh, tint on the windows. And the name of the, the place was Wholesale ASAP Lending. And it was crooked, like it was falling. And I'm like, what the fuck, right? So I walk in through the door. There's this hot-ass chick on the reception. I'm like, damn. And I see all these kids. Like, there's just desk and everybody on the fucking phone. Straight out boiler room. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for David and Rob. She's like, oh, you're JP. And I said, yeah. She goes, come, you're going to the back. I'm like, damn, the back. I was like, fuck. So I'm going through this like road and it's like computers, phones. Everybody's on the phone. There's money everywhere, bro. I'm like, Dude, what the fuck kind of shit are they doing here? We get to the back, two double, like huge fucking wooden doors. They open it. And then I get here and it's like the baller status, bro. This is where they got like Mahomedy desk, 
ESPN Sports Center playing on every fucking screen. There's dudes playing crabs on the floor with hundred dollar bills. There's one dude getting a, a suit fitted. There's like dude fitting them and shit. He has a cigar inside with fucking stacks of hundreds. There's another guy on the corner that has a fucking cash machine and that shit's running like. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then there's my boy Robert and there's David and I show up and they're like, welcome to our company. I'm like, the fuck do you guys do here? Is this illegal? He goes, yeah, we do home loans. And I said, so how does this work? Quite simple. They gave me a stack of fucking uh, papers. He says, all you got to do is call every person in this fucking sheet. For every appointment you set, you make $1,000. It's like, for every appointment I make, I make $1,000. They said, yeah. I said, all right, man, sounds good. That week I made $12,000, bro. And then that, that was the end week of it. you made twelve thousand dollars. That was the end of it, and that's how I started my road through uh, through real estate. Man, started doing loans. Obviously, it was uh, two thousand six. So it was crazy times. Uh, <laughs> right crazy. before the crash. Yeah, that's why I crashed for a reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, then fell in love with it, and uh, soon after that, I left the commercial lending, the development. Um, two thousand eight happened, which was fucking awful, and then after that, I turned into uh, the seller side got licensed in 2009 and uh yeah i'm there uh 15 years now so how has the game changed in terms of starting because obviously no one's going to walk into the back of a baller room and you know get loans that drop 12k in a week these days right i was crazy bro 2005 2006 was like a crazy era i mean there was no regulation it was like the wild wild west i mean literally i could take you to a fucking chop shop like this and the way, the way it was set up is people have to understand this. If you ever seen Boiler Room, I mean, I highly suggest you go watch this movie because it was 100% like that. So you would get a paper. On the paper, it would say your name, Philip Lanos. And then they will have the last four of your social already, your birthday, your address, and the last five of your account for your mortgage. Now, a mortgage is what somebody gets when they buy a property. You get a mortgage on your house. It's a loan, right? And they'll say the bank. They'll say Wells Fargo, Bank of America, for example, right? So the way the call would work is I would call you, ring, 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 answer the phone. We'll, we'll role play it right now. Watch. Okay. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hello, Philip. Yeah. Hey, Philip, how's it going? This is Jack with Wells Fargo. I'm calling you because we have a great rate opportunity to drop your rate to 6% with possibly cash out. Is that something you're interested on? Dropping by 6%? Yeah. Keep in mind, at that time, people had an 8 and 9% interest rate. So I'm calling you and offering you a 6%. Wow. So of course. And, and I'm calling saying I'm Wells Fargo. Oh, wait, I'm not, you're not Wells Fargo. I'm from the back of an office and I'm saying I'm Wells Fargo, right? So what I would do then is say, okay, great. I'm going to transfer you over to my wholesale department and they'll further assist you. Push hold on the phone, release hold. And then I would say wholesale department. And they'll be like, hi, yeah, I just got transferred to you. Oh, great. Can I verify your account number? Keep in mind, I only have the five. But because you're thinking I'm Wells Fargo, now you're going to give me your full account number, right? So now I write down the account number. Then I say, I need to verify your social. Your last four is 1212. That's correct. Can I get the five to verify that it is you? Sure. Can I confirm your birthday? Sure. I have every information I need in regards to Philip and his loan. So then what I would do now is I would run a quick comp on your property. And if you wanted money, uh, let's say that you owed, let's say that your property was worth 300,000 and you owe 250 and you needed to take a hundred thousand. Well, it would take a simple call for me to an appraisal that we had on the pockets on the books. 
and we say, hey, we need this to appraise for at least 200,000 more because they want to take out 100. How much is it going to be? And he'll say, oh, it'll be 10, 15 grand. So we will pay him that fee. And then we will lock you into the loan. You get your loan, 6%. But that don't, this is the catch, though. We would charge you 2%. But then the bank who did the loan, because that's how crazy this was, will give us up to six points in the back. That's 6% back. So total, we're making 8% on this loan. So do the numbers. So you come 8%. up by 2%. Yeah. So 8% of the total amount of, what is that? Let's say 400,000. How much is that commission-wise? 8% of 400,000? Uh, let's just, if I were to round that up to 10 to 400,000, what is that? That's like uh, 10,000? $30,000, yeah. $32,000. So I just made $32,000. In one call. Dude. That's how crazy. So you did get these people the loans that you were promising. Oh, yeah. They were getting the loan. A lot of times the loan wasn't the best fucking loan for them. That's the thing. See, so they had negative amps. They had interest only. People were crazy, though. They were using their homes as ATMs. That was the problem. So if you did, if I did that to you, uh, to for Philip, right? And uh, I did that uh, for Philip. And uh, what do you call it? You like that. Then you would go and buy that Mercedes you wanted or whatever it was. Then you're like, shit, now I need rims for my Mercedes. You would come back to me six months later and be like, hey, JP, can I still take more money out of my house? And I'll look it up. I'll call the appraiser. And he'd be like, yeah, we can still push another 50 grand on it. So I'll say, great, I can only push 20 grand. And then you say, okay, so then we'll cash you out for another 20 grand. And that balance goes up. Every time that balance goes up, we're making money on that loan. For so, the remainder of yeah, the loan, as it's getting paid, you continue to make money too? No, no, no only that, that goes one directly, time fee yeah. That goes directly to Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, on the origination, you make money. But at this time, it was in the mad countrywide. All these banks, they were doing subprime right. loans. Subprime means that you were not the best candidate yeah. for the loan. I'm talking about Philip is maybe not making enough to pay the new balance on that loan and his credit was <laughs> shit. And uh, but we will still fucking make it work, you know? Or a lot of the times it'd be like, Philip is only making 20000 a year. The underwriter requires Philip to make 50000 a year to get this cash out refi that he wants. So then magically, Philip would be an associate of the company, which we could uh, generate some pay steps, uh, possibly some uh, tax returns showing that you work for the company and that you made the additional <laughs> money needed. So that's how fucking crazy shit was, bro. And it's, it's, see, I didn't get to that point though. This is what I figured out after I was getting paid just by setting the appointment. So for me, for me talking to you and you agreeing to it, I got paid a thousand bucks. This is before I found out how much they were actually making. Cause then after that, when I found out, I was like, whoa, whoa, fuck that. Like, <laughs> I didn't even I, make I, it 20,000 a week. <laughs> so they said, well, you know, you got to get licensed. You got to do this. And it's true. You had to be licensed. Uh, but the majority of these young kids, the ones that were in the front, like I mentioned, they were making maybe a hundred to 250 bucks an appointment. So for them, it was like, fuck yeah, you know, these high school kids, maybe just out of high school, walking out with 200 bucks a day, possibly a thousand bucks a week for them. It was like, this is a lot of fucking money, right? Uh, the ones in the back were getting paid a little bit more. If you were licensed, then fuck, you're now getting a percentage of, of that actual big transaction. So maybe 60, 70% out of that 32,000. So it was fucking lucrative. And at the same time, the bank reps, bro, the bank reps would show up to your office. And this was where it was really crazy, bro, because they would send the most hottest chicks to come to the office. I'm talking like white, brunette, 
whatever it is that you wanted, implants, ass, short skirts, talking about a product that absolutely make no sense, but in the end would say, oh, by the way, the top producer for this week gets a full paid trip to Vegas with a rented Lamborghini and this and that. And you're just like, fuck, you know, so fuck whatever the product was. It didn't even really matter. All you were concerned about was like, I want to be that top producer position for this week. So I'm talking about they would pick us up on limos, take us to Vegas, pay car payments, pay mortgage payments. Uh, I remember I made a bonus of 2500 once just for because I made uh, five appointments in one day. Uh, they took me out to eat at nice restaurants. Um, I got to go to Vegas twice, all paid by the banks. I mean, it was crazy, bro. It's not a mystery to me why you fell in love with real estate. <laughs> well, subprime <laughs> loans in particular. <laughs> you know what's crazy, bro? I, I don't think that was it because, you know, uh, at that point, I had never seen that amount of money in my life. Sure. I mean, the most I ever seen, dude, I think was fucked. 1500 when I got out of boot camp, uh, because you spend no money the three months that you're in boot camp. Obviously, what are you going to buy? You know, you're fucking stuck in like a mini jail. And when I got home, I looked at my bank account and I had 1500 bucks, bro. That's the most money I ever seen in my life. I was like, damn. I remember I went to the mall and that shit was gone in like fucking three hours. You know, I was just buying everything I ever wanted. I was like, those shoes, yes. My parents said, no, I'm saying yes. I'm taking those and I'll take that. And the crazy thing was that I remember I, I went to the mall. I went to the Glendo Galleria, uh, which now they have a whole promenade there and shit. But I remember I went to the Glendo Galleria. I fucking, I bought all these Jordans, uh, some shoes, some sick ass shoes. And then that night I was supposed to go out with my friends to uh, celebrate. And I couldn't go out because I was fucking broke. So I showed up with money, but then I spent it all on fucking shit that I was like, fuck, I don't like this feeling. So it, it, that was kind of like my bad habits growing up that because I never had a taste of money. And it's funny, I always tell the story that my first love with money was because growing up, we always had to share food, right? So if we went to McDonald's, my mom would buy like a Big Mac and a fries and a Coke. And we had to share it with my siblings, which was my two sisters. And I used to hate that shit. I'd be like, why can I get my own Big Mac? She'd be like, well, we don't have money for the whole Big Mac. Like, shut, shut up and get some fries and eat your piece of your Big Mac. And I used to hate it. It used to fucking piss me off. So one time I stole the 100 bucks from my dad. Hopefully my dad doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Right. And, and by the way, I did this because I saw my mom do it. Crazy, right? So my dad, <laughs> yeah. So I would get home and my dad was a truck driver. He'd get home late sometimes and the first thing he would do is always take off his pants, just leave them on the floor and go straight to the shower. And uh, I remember I was walking to the kitchen and I sort of seen it through the side of my eye. My mom pick up his wallet and my dad always had a lot of money because he was a truck driver. They got paid cash and then they have to play, uh, pay for fuel the next day, cash and all that stuff. So he had wobs of fucking hundreds in there. And I remember her like slipping a few out and then kind of like putting it by her bra and then putting the pants back down. So I said, OK, I said, all right. But my dad was always cool, bro. My dad would always give me like two bucks, five bucks. So my dad was always a, a bit more of a generous, disciplined as hell, very strict. They don't let me do shit. But at least whenever I said, dad, I, I need five bucks, he'll give me five bucks, right? Uh, my mom, I said, mom, I have money for school. She'd be like, here's a buck and bring me the change. I'm like, fuck, dude, a cookie's like a buck. Like, what am I going <laughs> to bring? What change am I going to bring me the napkin? Uh, right? So uh, one day I remember my, my dad, uh, my mom walked out. I don't know where she went outside. My dad was in the shower. I went in there and it's just like, dude, wobs of hundreds. I remember that. And I was just like, well, he won't notice. It's just one. So I took a $100 bill, bro. 
I remember I was so fucking nervous. I went home uh, back to my room and I'm like shaking. I'm like, fuck, is he going to find out? And uh, sure enough, in the morning, he knew, bro. He's like, uh, he was telling my mom, like, I need those $100. I got to put fuel. I got to put fuel. And I was just like, fuck, like, what do I do now? Like, at this point, I can't go back and be like, oh, dad, like, magically appeared in my room, you know? So I was like, fuck. So I remember they were sort of arguing and he would always give me a ride uh, to the, to school. So we're riding on school. And then I felt bad because as I'm, uh, he's dropping me off, he's like, oh, do you need money? And he took out a 20. And this is the first time he's ever given me a 20. He took out a 20. And I said, no, no, it was no, here, take it. I'm like, no, no. And then he made me take the 20. So I was like, fuck. So like, I got 120 bucks from my dad and 100 of it I stole. And I was like, fuck. So I go to the fucking student store. For all you guys that are in school now, back in the days, there was such thing called as a student store. And you would buy things from it. And, you know, you would share it with the girl you would want to impress. So I go in there <laughs> and buy all these fucking jawbreakers. Remember jawbreakers? Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, I I a bunch of those jawbreakers. I bought some uh, Rolos. Like, dude, I bought at least $50 worth of fucking candy, dude. So I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Like, I got all this candy. So I'm training <laughs> with all these girls and all that. And I love the feeling of having that and having people come to you and be like, wow, JP, like, oh, can I have some? Can I have some? So then I got even more excited. And I said, I can't wait till I fucking get out of school because I'm going to go to fucking McDonald's and I'm going to buy everything in that fucking menu and I'm going to fucking eat it. And sure enough, bro, when the bus dropped me off, I walked my ass to McDonald's. I got a fucking number one. I got a fucking Sunday. I got a fucking apple pie. Bro, I fucking ate everything I could that fucking day. And that's when I said, wow, this is what it feels like to have money. I love it. So for me, money, when I started making it, was a sense of satisfaction, a, a sense of, wow, I could buy whatever the fuck I want. It wasn't until, honestly, bro, I would say maybe six, six, seven years ago that I recently said, fuck, I really got to change a lot of shit, bro. I really got to change a lot of shit. And it's a, I started implementing different things and obviously better financial decisions and all that stuff. Uh, but during that mortgage times, it didn't help at all, bro. Absolutely not. I was, what, 24, 25 years old making, fuck, a shitload of money, having no idea how to spend it, having... Remember, it was like a trigger of that sensation of having that feeling of having money, but now it's at a different level. Back then it was McDonald's fries and a fucking McFlurry. Now it was like, fuck, girls, bottle service, club, attention, approval, status. Bro, I'm talking about rolling up into a club with a fucking Lamborghini and having chicks just fucking throw themselves at you. You it's were like, living the rock star life. Dude, it's you you sit there and you're like everything that I always saw on TV on the rap videos, the hip hop videos, it's like now I'm fucking coming through. Like I fucking love it. Right. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom in 2008 when I was just like, dude, that was just a fucking fantasy. That was just a an illusion. That's not fucking real. Because everybody that was there with me that supposedly got my back, now that we're all gone. Now wow. you don't get that anymore now you're just like that solo fucking cowboy out there opt to yourself not to do whatever the fuck you got to do now just to fucking survive now i got kids well i had my son on the way now i'm my son now i got a wife that i gotta worry about and then i was homeless at the time so it's like it was a fucking rude awakening bro but uh yeah crazy journey man so that was the fantasy of real estate, the one that everybody thinks about when they think of real estate. I can make all the money, do all the things. Oh, yeah. What's the reality of real estate this day and age? Dude, real estate is an amazing 
career path of freedom. As long as you understand that and you're doing it for those reasons. If you're doing it for, I'm going to be, you know, fucking balling out and doing this. I'm not saying you can't achieve that. But if that's your main purpose, your whole intention of working with people is going to be fucked up. So I have the saying that goes, you got to build relationships first before you get commissions. And I truly fucking live by that. And it's all through lessons that I have had throughout my career, you know, wrong decisions, good decisions, uh, relationships that I have kept, opportunities. I always share this one story of my first like million dollar deal that I didn't get because everybody shares all the fucking good shit, right? And I always like to share this one because I, again, I always been that go-getter, that risk taker. And I remember I was co-calling, I was on Sunset Plaza um, in the West Hollywood. I co-call, it's a $6 million deal. Uh, the lady says, well, how soon can you be here? And I'm like, fuck, I'll be there right now. At the time I was driving a two-door Honda Civic multicolor because it was fucked up and I couldn't afford to change the panels. So I had like one black panel, one was like darker blue. Like it was fucking crazy, bro. And this cheap ass suit that was oversized on me. So I looked fucking hideous. And uh, uh, this HP computer that only worked whenever it wanted to work. So good luck if I had to show up to an appointment and then had to show you something in the computer because it was like a, a fucking prayer just to hopefully it would turn on. And I remember I pack on my shit. I fucking stop heading up this hill. And when I see the door open, I see other cars going in. In fact, one of the cars they went in is a big agent now that has his own show on TV. And I recognized him at the time because the show was just starting. And I said, fuck, dude. I, I remember I started doubting myself. And I said, dude, I don't even think I should go up there. Like, this is a bad decision. Like, I'm going to fuck it up. Like, this is so the, all the negative self-talk, right? So I parked the car there because I was ashamed of driving up with this car up to this big mansion and being, you know, criticized and all these agents showing up in their Mercedes and their nice cars and shit. So uh, I start walking up <laughs> and to my uh, surprise, it was a fucking long uphill walk from this driveway. So by the time I did get to the top, I'm fucking sweating now. My fucking feet are hurting. You know, I'm like, holy shit, this is just a terrible decision. And uh, sure enough, that agent is now walking out of the house. So she was interviewing multiple agents. And uh, because of my walk, I was the last one to get there. And so she's like, oh, why didn't you just drive up? I saw you in the camera that you parked outside. So now I felt even more like shit. I was like, fuck, she saw me. And now she's really going to have a, this thought of me or something. I just said, oh, I don't know if there's going to be parking. You know, some of these homes, you know, they got limited parking. She goes, oh, good observation. That's good. I appreciate that. So she walks me in. Long story short, I go through my whole, you know, listing presentation and she finishes off and I'll never forget what she said. She said, uh, I'm not going to give you the listing because I know you're not ready. He goes, but I appreciate the fact that you showed up here and you still gave me an actually pretty good presentation. You just don't have the credibility or the experience yet. Tell you what, come back to me two years from now, save my number and I will work with you. This was like 2011. Now, 2020, I have sold her probably around six, seven houses, all on the millions. And she's one of my top clients. Wow. So building that relationship versus me trying to push it or, or chase something else for the commission aspect of it, would it have completely put that scenario on a whole different level or something completely different? But because of the fact that I was genuine, vulnerable, honest, and care more about building that relationship, it actually paid off in the long run a lot more than it, it, it you know, 
that it could have if I would have done anything else or wing it. And that's what a lot of agents do wrong now. They, they start the business and they want to wing it all. Doesn't matter. Like, fuck it. I just want to get paid. So I'm going to wing it. Whatever I got to do to wing it. And sometimes it'll work. But sometimes it'll backfire. And again, in real estate, it's your reputation. You fuck that up. It goes all the way with you. Regardless what brokerage you go or whatever, it's going to follow you. So what I heard from that story that I thought was powerful too, that maybe you could speak to is you did it even though you didn't feel ready and you knew you didn't have the clothes, you knew you didn't have the car, all the things you think are going to help you sell something. You did it anyways, whether it was going to be good or not. And how often do you find that people who get into the business aren't willing to make the phone calls, aren't willing to do the presentation, find every reason why it's not going to work and then decide not to do it and then complain that it's too hard or that they're just not good enough. Bro, that's like 98% of agents out there, dude. They're, they're sitting, waiting for that next call. They're sitting, waiting for that next IG message or Facebook message. They don't want to put in the work. That's the one thing about real estate that a lot of people don't actually see that uh, it's a lot of fucking work. It's a lot of fucking work. I interviewed um, a great CEO not too long ago, and he said something that I thought was very powerful that he said, balance is earned. Balance is earned. He said, when you're coming up, you don't have time to think of going to the beach. You don't have time to think about it Saturday or Sunday. I'm going to barbecue or it's a fucking holiday. I'm going to take the day off. Fuck no. Especially if you got a family, if you got kids and you're definitely trying to get to that next level, balance doesn't exist. As, as, as bad as it sounds, it doesn't. You earn fucking balance when you get to that fucking level. You earn it when you get to that position where then you could take a, uh, it's a step back and say, okay, fuck, I'm here. I made it. Let me reset. Enjoy this. And now what's going to be the next thing for JP? What's going to be the next thing for Philip? See, so a lot of the times I think that agents, they live their whole career living paycheck by paycheck. We call it transaction by transaction. This is why you would see in some conventions that you have a 70-year-old lady still selling real estate. And they're, they're applauding her because they're just like, oh, let's give it up to Gabby, still top producer at 70. Fuck that. You did something wrong if you're 70 years old and still selling real estate. What was your game plan? What was your strategy? What was the blueprint on that? What, what was it? What was the system implemented? But then you hear the stories like Van der Marin, top Remax producer uh, from up north, built such a great big pipeline that ended up selling it for $8 million. Then you're thinking like, Wow. That's something that I want to head to. That's something that I want to build. Or you look at someone like the Tom Ferries who started on the real estate side on the trainee, built it to such a huge empire. Now that they run, I would say 90% of the industry's coaching and training from selling real estate to now mentoring thousands and hundred thousands of fucking agents nationwide. That's crazy. So a lot of the times these agents don't have that exit plan. You know, they're stuck on that. Let's just worry about that next deal where I feel that you have to run this like a true business from nine to fucking 10, from nine to fucking 11, from five to 11, whatever time it is, you're putting in the work to fucking build your empire. How would someone even go about getting started? Like, let's say JP, hey, uh, my name's Phil. Uh, I hope you don't mind me hitting you up in the DM. I want to get started in real estate. What do I do first? Yeah, first, you got to get your principles uh, done. It's, uh, you know, preliminary courses. Uh, there's a couple sites. Uh, I highly recommend Revi, which is R-E-V-E-I.com. Uh, uh, you get all your courses done there. Let them know JP sent you. They take care of you. Huge discounts as we send them a lot of people there. 
Um, but yeah, what I like about that is that you can take your test every Friday. It's online. It's open book. You knock all those out. You apply for your state exam. And this is where the key thing comes. Once you get to that point, sign up for some sort of training, like the one I do at 630 or any sort of mentoring training already where you start getting your feet wet, because that's important. Everything's changing in real estate so fast, especially with everything going on right now with COVID, that you want to make sure that you're already in a position where you know the lingo, you know what's happening, you know how to approach it and leverage somebody versus getting your exam and then being thrown into the wolves and then kind of see if you're going to survive or not. So it's important to start sort of getting your feet wet and then figuring out if this is going to be the right move for you, if it's something that you're going to end up liking or not. I mean, I get a lot of people that halfway through my training, they're like, fuck, dude, I didn't think real estate was this much work. I don't want to do it. And that's okay. But again, those are the people that have that perspective of, oh, you know, you jump into real estate and make all this money, drive all these nice cars and people just call you every day and say they want to buy or sell a house. And it's not like that. You got to go out and chase that. You got to still go in and put in the hard work. You got to, you know, prospect, door knock, you know, cold call, whatever it is that you got to be doing. It's a numbers game. The more people you touch, the better your possibilities of getting a deal. Okay. And what would you say is the number one reason that people fail when they get started in something like this? Not being consistent. Consistency, follow up through, and not being fully committed. So you're saying the only way not to win is to just not do the work. I'll do the work. That's it, bro. You don't do the work, you ain't going to get shit. So you're saying 90% of the people who start this just weren't willing to do the work and that's why they didn't make the money. They'll half faster. There's people out there that are excited doing one deal a year. One deal a year. Fuck, dude, how do you survive? The average price point, let's say in LA, is 625. That's like $15,000, bro. That's like making 15000 a year. And then you got to pay taxes on that. So you're 1099. Wow. And they're perfectly okay. I mean, look, that's what I'm telling you. It's, dude, it's, it, it, this is the lucrative thing about real estate, bro, that anybody can completely kill it if you put in the work. If you put in the work, you'll fucking dominate because there's not that many doing it. So the odds are really good on your side. The problem is if you become part of the other percentage, which is the ones that are just sitting back, the ones that are not putting the work, because then it's sort of like you guys always want to jump up last minute uh, when you need that money. Now you're working for pain, not pleasure. And that's when everybody tends to sort of do the same. That's when you start having more fraud, more issues, more uh, you know inconsistencies in escrow, more uh, unhappy clients. Uh, those are the same agents to give us to get agents the bad name because they're half-assing shit, winging shit, getting creative on shit they shouldn't be doing. Uh, it goes back to the example of all the short sale that happened in uh, 2009 to all the way to 2012, where a lot of people just bad habits. They were doing all this wrong shit, got creative. We're doing some crazy straw buying buyer shit that was illegal. And then uh, they didn't care about the client. It was more about their pockets. They made a shitload of money. But what happened when the FBI came knocking on the door? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think uh, I think I had a, a a girlfriend back in like 2010, 2011. Her family's house was like repossessed, even though they had been paying everything, and like they got oh, kicked there, out. And there's a lot of shit going on back then, bro. I mean, they were doing the whole straw buying shit, where they'll be like, "Hey, man, I'm losing my house, so Philip, I'll use your credit." Then, yeah, uh, something like that happened. Yeah, we'll use your credit. You're you're on it, but then after that, I don't want to pay it anymore. So you're like, "Well, fuck, dude, my name's on the hook, so I'm gonna." foreclose on it. So you try to foreclose and that be like, whoa, fucking Philip trying to take my home away and blah, blah, blah. So, and it's crazy because I still fucking get calls from that. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. You're they, still patching things like that up? Dude. Yeah. Shit that was done back then. I recently got a call from some lady that got divorced and uh, 
the way that they did it was the ex-husband's friend jumped on the loan. He's been on the loan since 20, uh, 2012. Now the guy's got married. He wants to buy a house. He can't buy a house because this house is still under his name. And the chick can't buy him out or anything because she's unemployed and she doesn't want to work. So she's threatening him that, no, you're stuck with me. And he's like, no, fuck you. I'll foreclose. I'll let this shit go. I don't care. And she's like, you can't do that. So, you know, it's kind of like those situations where you sit there and you're like, well, this shouldn't have happened in the first place. And where the fuck is the agent to put this shit together? No responsibility whatsoever. No responsibility whatsoever, man. JP, what, what type of careers that people might already be in would make for excellent points to transition from? Like, let's say, oh, I'm a web developer. Do I have the right skills that carry over into if I wanted to switch my career because of this? Maybe a web developer is a bad example because they could probably work remotely. But let's say someone's working only in customer service, right? Is that a great place to jump off into real estate from? Dude, honestly, anything is because everything you do in life is sales. Even if you're a web developer, you're selling something. You got to sell yourself for that promotion. You got to sell yourself for that rate that you're getting paid by your employer or something. So real estate is just nothing but sales. And as long as you communicate with people and you're a social person, then you're dramatically in. In fact, the people that do better are people that are good talkers. I mean, if you could talk and you're good with people and you're, you're, uh, you know, occasionally, I mean, not occasionally, but, you know, very well social, dude, you're going to do automatically good. It's just, it, it's a people's game. Again, it comes back to numbers. Uh, you're more analytical. People do great on the commercial side or anything that's more income related, uh, income properties, because they're good at digesting numbers. They're good at looking at Excel sheets and stuff like that. Um, so there's positions on, there's positions for everybody on real estate. The most important thing is as long as you could sell and you could talk to people, which a lot of the skills can be developed, you don't have to be perfect at it. Uh, you do great. I have a guy who is not a social person, but he's high, high, he has a tremendous top performing team with killer salespeople that are talkative, that does all that. So he's more of like the brains of the operation, the image, but his team is absolutely killing it. And dude, this guy's making fucking seven figures a year doing that. So definitely possible. Is it a good time to try to jump into real estate now during the quarantine? Dude, better, man. I believe that the harder it is, the better you're going to learn. Why, why, why jump in when it's easy? You want to learn when, when it's at the hardest. That way, when it gets easier, dude, you're already like on top of it. Now, do beginner real estate agents, do, do they have skin in the game in terms of money? Like, is that something that's expected of them or is that only what the broker does? What do you mean as far as skin in the game? Well, so because I'm not in real estate, I don't know, but I imagine at some point people have money invested in a house that they're remodeling. So like, is that something the agent does or the agent's just making the calls? And no, in the fact, you could be doing that. And it's something that uh, I feel that I should have learned earlier. In fact, uh, I didn't start doing that almost two, two years ago where I started finding properties. And normally you would pitch it to an investor, you make your commission for the sale. But what I started doing differently after reading a book called Skin in the Game, I said, uh, yeah, I'm bringing you this property. How do I get skin in the game? How do I get a percentage on the deal itself? What can I do to learn and also manage the property or be the project manager or be your eyes on the project when you're not here? Use me aside of just being an agent to win my equity on the, on, the, on the property itself, on the asset. And you'd be surprised how many investors will actually say that's okay. They'll say, fuck yeah, dude, I appreciate that. Hell yeah. So the first deal I ever did, uh, it was a duplex in a, by south of Echo Park, I went in it. I said, dude, all the commission I'm going to make here, I want to transfer it over to this property. And I, and I also want to get some equity on it. Teach me the ropes, however you want to use me. They did. 
I ended up making 10% of that total and I got the listing of it. And not only that, but I built that relationship where they said, dude, any other deal you bring me, we're okay with doing the same scenario with you. So again, this is all about the growth on agents, which a lot of agents don't do. Like I just mentioned, a lot of them will, will stay transaction, transaction, or you could be that agent that thinks that's out of the box and be like, huh, you know, I don't want to sell real estate all my life. You know, this is great. How do I also get skin in the game? How do I also get be, become part of these developments, part of these deals so I could actually grow this and eventually cash flow off of all this and then enjoy the life that I want? Wow. So that being said, given the way everything is going these days, um, what what would you say would be the number one thing keep, keeping people out of a career like this? Like just off the top of your head, what would be the number fear, one? Man. Fear. The fear of sales, the fear of the talking to people. The biggest common thing that I get from people is like, I hate talking to people. I hate the objections. I hate uh, the fact that I, go out, I have to go out there and chase people or, or do this and that. And it goes back to, again, like we spoke to your upbringing, man. It's, have you ever read in uh, Napoleon Hill? Uh, what is yeah. it? Thinking Grow Rich? No, oh. the other I'm winning the No, I, I didn't yeah. even know he had another book. Dude, that's, that's a sick-ass book. In fact, he has a conversation with the devil. Wow, outwitting the devil. Yeah. And he interviews the devil on this and the devil basically tells him the biggest leverage that I have over your superior, because he doesn't want to say God versus your higher power is the fact that I could control people with fear. Fear is going to be what limits people from achieving maximum success, achieving the greatness and the breakthroughs that they're able to, because that's always going to be that one pillar that stops them from moving forward. And it's, it's funny because if you think of anything, why are we scared of certain things now? Why is it that you will do certain things, won't do other because of that fear? That fear came to you either by experience or because it was put on you by your parents or somebody of authority that you experienced something growing up. So therefore you don't touch it because you think, oh, that's not good. That's fear, right? Why is it that when you're a little kid though, you do whatever the fuck you want and don't care? You jump off a fucking bridge, you know, get your tricycle, go down that big old hill, even though that you know you're gonna break your arm and legs and anything, but do it with such confidence and such motivation. And a lot of the times, in fact, this is a proven fact that that's why with kids, the younger they are, the more you throw them to do risk, risky things. They have a, a what is I think it was eighty-seven or eighty-two percent chance of of making it through versus an adult doing it because of our fear factor, which wow. that's crazy. That's crazy. So we're, we're actually wired to succeed in a lot of things. It's just that our reprogramming as we're growing up is what fucks us up. So in real estate, for example, most people sit there and be like objections. Oh my God, somebody tells me, no, I'm going to die. It's the worst thing. Well, that means that growing up, you had a lot of people tell you no. You had a lot of people stop you from doing things. No was a big word on your fucking... Uh, your you told me... You had a lot of rejections growing up or you didn't get the attention you wanted. So how did you, how did you overcome that? Well, that was that. My thing was I was very insecure because of that. Dude, my dad with the way my dad would sort of uh, be the strong dad with me to build me bigger was like fucking like looking down on me and saying that it wasn't good enough or that, you know, I would do something great and I'd be excited. He'd be like, it's not good enough. And I'll sit there and be like, fuck, dude, damn. Like, really? Always Shit, I give it all. Level. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had a deep conversation with him after this was older, my adulthood, where I told him, I said, dude, I fucking hate you because this is what you did to me. This is that. And I just laid everything down, bro. And I remember my dad breaking down and he said, I'm sorry. Nobody ever taught me how to 
you know, teach a kid this. Nobody taught me how to be a father. Nobody taught me how to be a husband. I grew up without a dad. I grew up in the streets. I was survival mode. All I wanted to do was to teach you that in life, shit will never be easy. In life, you're going to get kicked, fucking stepped on, spit at, and you have to be the strongest motherfucker possible and know that you can make fucking shit happen. And bro, I remember I sat there and I was like, fuck, you couldn't just tell me that? Like, fuck, you know? But then would it really make sense at that age? Probably not, you know? And, and it's crazy because I look back at a lot of shit I have accomplished and I think a lot of it has to do with the upbringing that I had. Like in boot camp, I fucking, when I went to boot camp, I said it on my mind that I was going to be the guy, the honor man. I was going to graduate the fucking honor man, top of my fucking class. And I was the smallest motherfucker in my whole platoon, over 60 motherfuckers. I think it was like 72. And I graduated fucking honor man. I fucking did it. The smallest motherfucker there. And I remember the main drill instructor coming up to me when all this happened and he straight out said, he goes, I never seen somebody with such stature like yourself have tremendous fucking leadership. He goes, what you did in this platoon is something I never seen in my whole time here as a, a senior drill instructor. And I had that same comment when I went to SOI, School of Infantry, and I graduated top of my, all my promotions were meritoriously. And I realized that the only time it fucked me up was any time that I was put in a position where I got challenged and something was said similar to what my dad told me growing up. It, then it would fuck me up. Then it would fuck me up. And I had some of those uh, challenges during the military. This is after I have gotten all those accolades and promotions and rewards and I remember that I, I, I got challenged certain people and they would use certain words or remind me of a certain gesture that my dad would do. And that shit would fuck me up. I remember I would fucking come down and then doubt myself, question myself, question if it was the right thing, question if like overthink it. What if, what if, what if? And then I realized that, holy shit, a whole month passed and I was on the whole what if fucking cloud. What the fuck? It's kind of like, wow. now I got to get over this shit again. And it just be, started becoming like a bigger fucking hole to eventually I was like, fuck, I can't get out of this fucking hole. This is fucking crazy. What the fuck's going on? And that's why I think that sort of led to the whole fucking PTSD, depression, all that nonsense that went on through 2008. And uh, after that, that's when, you know, just self-reading, self-improvement books and all that shit, just hanging around with different associations, realized that, fuck, no, you're capable of achieving so much more. And, and sometimes you got to fight. Like there's that one saying that I'm sure, I'm sure you heard of it that says the biggest battle you're going to have is the, the ones against yourself. The ones that yeah. you got to fight there and fucking, you know, go balls out with yourself and unfuck yourself. Uh, your podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a self-development person too, man. I, I owe a lot of who I am to reading books, like Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective, all that stuff. I read that when I was like 14, The Four Agreements. It changed, like high school was not the same for me as it was for my classmates. Yeah. Now, was that what helped you get over the, the idea of like rejection, everything that helped you excel? In real estate, like you just did a lot of it, a lot of it was that, um, a lot of it was that, and then a couple people that have come into my life that have proved proved that theory wrong of the fear and the what if. In fact, me living in West Hollywood was a you know, a person that I was working with at the time, very ambitious, very risk taker, and uh, he told me, I remember this. He says, "Dude, you're making that drive every fucking day. There's more to you. I just don't think you're really hitting that potential. You're comfortable." And I have to agree at the time I was, I, I mean, I was making maybe like 200,000 a year. So I felt like, oh, this is cool. Like 
I'm good. Like, I'm going to just stay here on chill mode. And I remember him saying, you need to fucking step it up. And I came to where I live at now and I looked and it was significantly a lot higher than what we were going to pay. And I questioned it a lot of times and I said, fuck it. I'm going to just fucking take the risk and do it. I have to say that ever since I I done that, my fucking income has tremendously triple and I have never had an issue paying my fucking bills or anything like that. So uh, again, it comes down to us having that right circle of people push you sometimes that actually truly makes a big difference. Um, because if you're around the same fucking people all the time, there's really no challenge ever to become better. If that, that makes any sense. And I know that, you know, there, there are scenes out there like, you know, you're only, what is it? You're the best of your top five friends or five you're the people, yeah. average or whatever. Dude, that is so fucking right. Like I'm in that stage right now in my life where I need to sort of recheck who I hang around with and I need to level up because I think it's time for me to go to the next challenge in my life. Uh, I have a goal that I want to accomplish by 40 and I have 22 million in my head. I don't know how. That's just, I dream that number and it's going to happen. And in order for me to achieve that, I got to fucking be around people that have fucking surpassed that. So there's a lot of shit that I'm doing right now at the moment that it's sort of guided towards getting that route. And it's funny how the universe has aligned certain people that have just come to me, whether it be the podcast or whether it be my Instagram. And they say, dude, I love what you're doing. I want to work with you. And I look him up and I'm like, dude, this guy's net worth is fucking insane. And like what he's doing and all this shit. But they approach me because of my story. And therefore now I become just a student of what they're doing. How can I contribute to which? How can I bring value to whatever it is that you want to do? But at the same time, I just want to learn, learn from you. What's the next step that I got to take for me to get to that next level? And I think that's been the key factor to my change in insecurities, to my change in the way I talk, the way, like, I don't know if you know, I stopped drinking completely. So that, that's, that's, that's cool, man. yeah, that's another thing that I, you know, I, it's just, I, I just felt I had a self-talk with myself last year and, you know, it's just one of the things It was random. I think it was around this time. I would say that I would complete a, a, a year of soreness, but I don't really count it because in between there, I had like a sip, a few stuff just to, just to see if that's really the route I wanted to go. And to be quite honest with you, bro, the few times that I did try it after I got sick, like literally sick because I went literally nine months straight without drinking. And uh, when we went to Cancun, I remember I had a sip of uh, my wife's margarita and it just didn't feel the same. Um, my favorite drink always was rum and Coke with my cigar. And I remember that I had a rum and Coke. Then by the second one, my stomach was just like, not fucking feeling it. Uh, so I was just like, dude, I'm cool, man. I don't need this. And what the crazy part was that every time that I would have a sip or if I ever had urges, something would bring me back to that feeling you feel afterwards the next day, that awfulness, the not being able to function, the not. So I started studying a lot of like successful people, billionaires, millionaires. And I realized that, dude, none of them have these bad habits that we're taught to bring up as a way to celebrate because you did an accomplishment or, you know, one of the biggest things I had a family member get upset at me because I didn't want to have bottle service at my house to celebrate her birthday. And I said, why do we need that? Like, if we're going to celebrate life, let's celebrate it. I don't think we need alcohol for that. You know, it's like I went my whole birthday without alcohol, like, and I had the best fucking time ever. So it, it's, it's now I'm at that point where I'm changing a lot of little things that were big issues in my life because drinking was a big issue in my life. I started drinking at a very early age. I abused it a lot, tremendously. Then I sort of kind of backed down from it. Uh, but I realized that the amount of abuse that I did to it was probably not good for my body at all. And I'm pretty sure that if I, you know, had some sort of test done or something, they'd probably be like, dude, you're fucking like 
thirty percent of your blood is probably Bacardi. Um, <laughs> but, but dude, it, it, it's crazy, man. I mean, I didn't drink every day, but when I drank, I drank, bro. And, and just to give you an idea, when I was eighteen and we would go out, each one of us would go through a Bacardi bottle, the one liter one, before we got to the club. Literally, free game. Bacardi Limon. I remember that. We would chuck that shit out. And then Alice came. I know uh, Hypnotic came. <laughs> hypnotic so, and Alice. I remember those so, days. Yeah. So then everybody would drink a bottle of Hypnotic prior to the club. The worst fucking, I'm telling you. And then the, the first thing we did at the club would be a shot of Patron and then Adios Motherfuckers the whole night. And then a few shots between there. And then I don't know how the fuck we would get home. I do remember one time, though, funny story. Uh, it was me and my two boys. And we went to club, uh, the factory in downtown LA. I remember. And we picked up six chicks. I had a Nissan, a four door Nissan, uh, Altima with rims and TVs, and all the shit. So it's four of us already. And we have six chicks in the car and we're like, fuck yeah, dude, it's going to happen. We're going to get down, dude. I don't know what the fuck happened, bro. The next day we woke up in Griffin park. I was on top of the park. The car was open. There was chicks fucking outside. One of them was half naked. The other dude was like with his pants down. There was some chick on my hood. I don't know how I did not hit a tree, a car or anything, but I said, fuck that. Like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> so that was the level of uh, freedom you were practicing. Freedom, good times, bro. I mean, you're young. And again, I, I think uh, it was just a lot of it was just the way I was brought up, bro. My dad was just too strict. He wouldn't let me do anything. He was very like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. So a lot of it was just was rebel, bro. It was rebel. It was like, fuck, well, I want to go do it now just because you prohibited so much from me. That's why with my son, it's like I have conversations with him. I let him do certain things. And even though I know he's going to fail, I let him do it. But at least he'll know he fell and he comes out to me like, that. that didn't work out. And I said, okay, well, let me explain to you why it didn't work out, right? Versus me being that, no, no, don't do that. You know, you can't, you just always, uh, if we punish him, I let him know why. Of course, you're going to get the, uh, the typical smart answer. I always like, well, you always take everything away from me. I go, no, I don't. There's consequences. You know, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, this is the consequence. When you get older, this is the fucking consequence. It's even worse. You decide, what do you want? You're going to get it back, but you just got to work on these things. So it, it's crazy, man, how now we're triggered to sort of uh, parent differently. And we try to take as much as we can from our upbringing and sort of the things that affected us and how we can make it better. And, uh, you know, just try to hope for the best because I'll tell you right now, now that I'm a fucking dad, I could... 100% of just telling my mom and my dad and, and see how they were not prepared to have kids and how they just basically wing it and did the best they can because we always had food. At least dad, we could say, I never, you know, starved to death. I always had a roof over my head. Not the richest, definitely poor. Um, but at least the value was there. And you take that now and you just, now how you could, you know, process that differently for your kids so they don't have the same issues I had, you know, and hopefully live a better life. I mean, I really think that you have a lot of wisdom to offer, man, and I'm sure your kids are going to turn out amazing. I mean, already, what, eight years old and choosing the harder path. That's amazing, man. And I don't know if you know this, man, but when you mentioned to me just now the idea of your buddy calling you and telling you, you make this drive every day, I think you're comfortable. I don't think you that I don't know why, but hearing you say that pointed out to me something that I myself have been struggling with. Uh, I didn't realize how easy it was for me to get comfortable with even the smallest things, even though I thought I was pursuing these big goals. You, it, being comfortable is a lot more sneaky than I think people give it credit for. And I got to say thank you for really bringing that back to my awareness because I realized, yeah, 
I was okay with getting a, a couple of deals here and there, like a couple of clients here and there, as long as I could pay my bills. But right. Is that my goal? Well, I think and, the thing with you, bro, I have to say, man, it's like you don't give credit to your small accomplishments. And a lot of it, that that actually does hurt you more than you think. And that's one thing that I learned the hard way too, because I wouldn't. I just, I always had this mindset of, fuck, again, like what my dad said, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. So anything I did, it wasn't good enough, even though, fuck, dude, if you if you were to see it, my wife side, anybody else, they're like, dude, JP, that's a fucking great accomplishment. That's good. I didn't give myself credit to that. And you have to sometimes give yourself credit for that. And I'm going to tell you, look, from when we met in the street to where you're at now, dude, fuck, dude, 100%, it's a whole different Philip. I'll tell you that right now. That Philip <laughs> okay. to, my lo- uh, to my office was fucking lost. I could see it in your eyes. I mean, dude, you look like the Terminator, but like four, four, seven and something like that. <laughs> and, uh, if you ever seen the Terminator when he first comes out and he has that long fucking war jacket, that's what you were wearing. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> khaki pants with like the, the, the Timberland boots, I think it was some sort of boots, like New York style with the ton. It was up. all my New York clothes. Yeah. This guy like, uh, it came out from the Backstreet Boys or what, you know, <laughs> but dude, I mean, from that to having a podcast to writing a fucking book, bro, that's already like, God, dude, that's literally on my list to do somewhere here. And I, don't, <laughs> I haven't even fucking touched that. And here you are a fucking doer. You do it. Now you just got to realize that aside of you giving yourself credit for those small wins, you also got to put those long-term wins that you have to fucking execute because that's really going to be the pivoted point in your life. And that's where we fail a lot of times that because we're not giving ourselves that, that small credit, we go on thinking that we're actually not achieving a lot. But if you step out of your body and look it from the outside in, and this is why it's important to have strong associations, brother, where actually challenge you and, and give you good criticism because they'll say, no, bro, like, that's actually good, bro. This is where you're at now. Like, what's the next step for Philip now? And then you're going to be like, oh, shit, I see it now. I see where I went from here to here. You're right. What's going to be my next challenge now? What, what is it that I got to do now to take it to that next level, whether it be on a personal level, financial you know, whatever it is, bro, you got to fucking put all those aligned. And you also, I don't know if you do this, bro, but I journal like a motherfucker. I yeah, journal. Yeah, I, I got my little iPad. Yeah, dude, I debrief every night and, uh, you know, I sit there and I ask myself, did I fully go all out today? Did I go all out? What were, like, what were my wins today? And I'll tell you, today was not a good fucking day. Yeah, I, I think I slacked today. Today, today I, although I got three fucking big deals, I, I still think I slacked. I think that... uh I gave myself acknowledgement for those deals, but I counted like maybe five hours that I could have been more productive and I didn't. And, you know, it's just been, you know, I've been pushing myself too much. I realized that my sleep has not been great. I'm going to sleep very late, working on podcasts till like two in the morning, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, doing the Zoom calls from five all the way to eight. I normally, if I get a nap, a 20, 30 minute nap before I leave to the office, I'll get it. If not, I'm fucking out the door. So my eating's been fucked up. Um, I think last month I did like four rock stars, which is not good for you. Uh, and it's sort of something that I'm trying to stay away from. So again, see, it's like, you're always sort of like debriefing on yourself. Like, Hey, what's really going on here? Like, what do I need to adjust? Where am I going at? But it, it helps you. And at the same time, I have people I could call and be like, yo man, I'm sort of stuck here. Like, what am I doing wrong? Hmm, JP, well, you know what? Maybe try shifting this. Maybe try doing this. Maybe, you know, do that. And I feel that that helps a lot, which is something that when we're trying to discover that purpose and trying to 
discover where we want to go in life. We don't have those options. We don't do it because most likely whoever we're called, they're going to tell you, oh, bro, let's just go to the bar and fucking have a drink and we'll talk about it. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Fucking go to the bar. The next thing you know, you guys are fucking partying, fucking this and fucking bitches and that, fucking drugs. And the next thing is like fucking 12 afternoon the next day and you just lost fucking a whole week because it's going to take you that long to fucking recover. You're so right, man. You're so right. And I have a lot of the same habits that you do of like, you know, with the podcast or I'm trying to write the next book or I also just recorded like 30 songs in one month, like a song every day so that I'm going to be dropping with my project. And then I got my little client work and like, then I'm trying to be, you know, a good boyfriend. And then, I mean, it's not the same as being a husband and a family man and all that, but there's so many things that are asking for your time and attention and which deserves what. And, you know, are you willing to take out the trash and make sure that that doesn't get in the way of your goals? Where are you comfortable? Dude, wait, did you say girlfriend? Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got a girlfriend. I mean, we're on the podcast, so it's not the most relevant thing. But yeah, man, I'm a, I, I feel very lucky to have found somebody that I want to spend nice. my life with. And uh, that's part of like putting myself in a position where I feel inspired to do stuff. Honestly, for that's me, good, I was okay with getting a slice of pizza every day for the last three years. It didn't bother me that that was the one thing I ate really quick a coffee or like a, like a yerba mate. And I was off to the next thing I was doing. And I realized, you know, I put on weight, you know, that I didn't want, no matter how much I exercised, that doesn't, doesn't help the gut when your diet is terrible. You well, know? you know, and the then, funny thing is that I just read this too on the wall street journal that said that uh, most people, the average gained about 20 to 30 pounds during the pandemic. Uh, some uh, lost income, some made a few, but your high top performers, millionaires and billionaires, their income actually went up by 30 to 40% and they actually got in the best shape in their life. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. On a pandemic, bro. On a pandemic. Pandemic. On a pandemic. So it's really all mindset. It's all mindset, bro. It's like, you know, it, the more I, I like to study a lot about the brain and the way it functions, bro. And I'm not fully dip into it. So I'm not even going to, even try to fucking get, but uh, th- there's a great book called the, the the Mind Warrior, I think it is, or the Brain Warrior. I have it somewhere up here. Um, but the little that I did read about it, it, it's just so much that we don't touch, bro. That's possible. And, and I sit there and I ask myself sometimes, like, damn, you know, maybe you know, there's a reason why some of us have had the adversities and the challenges growing up because I think we're the most dangerous ones that once we truly, fully hit that potential, if we do, because a lot, of, a lot of people will give up, if you truly do, you could fucking be a unstoppable fucking machine, bro. You're fucking dangerous. You are fucking dangerous. And I sit there, I'm like, damn, like, can I ever reach that? And, and I ask myself, and then I, I have clients who, who were probably in my position. And, and one of the biggest issues I always had too was, I would compare myself to people and be like, damn, they're fucking 27. They already fucking made that money. Like I'm fucking 37 and I fucking, I'm not even close to that. Like, fuck. And I would let that shit bother me. And then I always think back on my client who, uh, rest in peace, just passed away. Uh, Samuel Magaña, who is the one that uh, started Diana's Bakery, which is a very big Hispanic tortilla bakery. And he didn't make his millions until he was 60. And he would always tell me the story how it happened because they were tired of working for somebody else doing tortillas. And one day he told his wife, fuck that. 
we're going to open a store right in front of this fucking place and we're going to do our own tortillas. And they became the second largest fucking tortilla makers in the world. In the world. At 60. The guy, the guy passed away. I think he was 88 or something like that. It's crazy, bro. So when That's- you think about it, you're like, fuck, dude. We just want to... We, you just have to want it bad enough to fucking go all out. This is why I'm, I'm always telling you, bro, fucking dude, what do you have to lose? Go for it. For anybody listening, dude, whatever it is that you want to do, just fucking go for it. You have the time to make up. If shit doesn't work out, oh, well, you just fucking lost six months, a year, two years, but you lost it on doing something that you love, not making somebody else's money. And I'm always afraid to tell people this who have kids because I don't have kids, so I can't speak for the the risk that's involved. But it, can, how would you, someone who's come up from the gutter, the poverty, the all the rejections, all the all the disadvantages possible, and you have kids and a, and a wife? Like, what's the thing you're going to tell a parent out there who's like, oh, I can't? Dude, it's even more of a reason to want to do it because if you look at your kids every day and you're not happy then how are you going to teach them to be happy? How are you going to teach them to do things with purpose? How are you going to teach them to truly be free if you yourself cannot even put your mouth where your word is? It's crazy how many bombs of knowledge you dropped in the middle of also explaining what a career in real estate would be like, which again, you said you teach a course uh, after people get their their, uh, principles out of the way. Um, which I think you, you mentioned a few things. Hopefully you can share those links with me. Um, but that being said, you also offered a lot of wisdom, what it means to be like a parent and so many things, man, that I, I really appreciate that you came 100% to this. And I think, I think this episode deserves to be called, uh, right after your podcast, which is unfuck yourself, uh, with real oh, yeah. estate. With real estate and JP Penga. It's going to be a long title, but it's, it, it's because it deserves every single one of those things. Bro, um, it should be, you know, JP, life, real estate, and unfuck yourself. Okay. I'll go with that. I'll go with that, man. I, I really do appreciate it, man, because it's been a long time coming. I know I had the chance to be on your podcast, which I highly recommend to anyone listening. Uh, it's, it's just brutal truths with entrepreneurs teaching you how to unfuck yourself. And, and I respect the podcast a lot, man. You've, you've taken it from, I remember when you first started to where it is now. So it's really cool to have you on this podcast. I really appreciate you making the time for it. And um, yeah, man, uh, is there, this is the, the red carpet is out for you. Is there anything you want to invite people to go visit, to go do for you, to connect no, with you? That's pretty much it. Uh, again, if you're considering real estate, uh, Revi, a great online school. And, and I like the fact that they're more flexible, especially if you have other careers or, or work that you're doing and it's sort of be a transition. I think that's great. That's revi.com, R-E-V-E-I.com. By the way, I don't get paid by that at all. It's just good friends. And I love the fact that they do take care of my agents. Uh, the other thing is, uh, again, just know exactly your intention of what you want to do, whether it's real estate, whether it's a shipping career, whether it's freelancing, whether it's you starting your own business, whatever, you know, have a, have a good blueprint. Talk to somebody about it. You know, try to get some of those big obstacles out of the way. And then again, just fucking go in there and, you know, put it all hundred percent. And most importantly, work for that inner wealth, be that person you want to be and be that example that creates that, that legacy for your family. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to uh, kids, uh, you know, just become relentless. Well, there you have it, JP. Thanks for stopping by. All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Blueprint. I hope it was helpful. 
And as always, I'm open to feedback. Please follow our guest where they directed you to. And also connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can even get more personal and connect with me on Instagram. Either way, let's network. Let's build. And let me know who else you'd like to hear about. What other industries and professions you're interested in.